Welcome to the Change Management Review Podcast, where we bring the best of change management to you. In this From the Field episode, Managing Editor Brian Gorman talks with Adam Kahane to discuss what he has learned about three modes of facilitation and what it takes to facilitate truly transformative change. We hope you enjoy this installment of the Change Management Review Podcast. Hello, I'm Brian Gorman, Managing Editor of Change Management Review. Welcome to our podcast. Our guest today is Adam Kahane, Director of Rios Partners, an international social enterprise that helps people move forward together on their most important and intractable issues. Adam is a leading organizer, designer, and facilitator of processes through which business, government, and civil societies can work together to address such challenges. He has worked in more than 50 countries in every part of the world with executives and politicians, generals and guerrillas, civil servants and trade unionists, community activists, and United Nations officials, clergy, and artists. Adam's most recent book, Facilitating Breakthrough, drew my attention, uh, especially in the context of the great resignation that we as change practitioners and change leaders are facing. Welcome, Adam. Thank you, Brian. I'm happy to be with you. In the forward to the book, Edgar Sheen writes, the key to this book is the second word in its title, breakthrough. With powerful stories from around the world, Adam Kahane tells us how he and his colleagues have worked with groups both within organizations and across larger social systems that are stuck in complexity and conflict. This book provides us with profound insight into how transformative facilitation helps such groups get unstuck and move forward to collaborate, to make progress towards shared goals. At the same time, this book makes a strong statement about the nature of those shared goals, learning to live together in a way that love, power, and justice enhance and support one another. What a way to begin your book. (laughs) I was... uh... I'm happy that Ed agreed to write the, the foreword. Tell us in your own words what Facilitating Breakthrough is about, Adam. Well, the premise of the book is that the world needs more and better collaboration uh, and therefore more and better facilitation and that the, the scope for dealing with the challenges we face, whether it's in the world or in our communities or in our organizations, the scope for dealing with things through forcing by just doing what you want to do or telling people what they ought to do, that the scope for that is, uh, is shrinking. Uh, doesn't mean you can never do that, but you can't, it doesn't work uh, as well as we used to think it did. And because uh, we need to collaborate more. That needs that means we need people who can support such collaborations, and the book is about how do you do that. And I'm defining a facilitator not as a external consultant or a timekeeper or a referee, but as anybody who helps groups of people work together to affect change. So that's what the book's about. 
And, and very early on in the book, you de define facilitation as removing obstacles to contribution, to connection, and to equity. One of the things that I found fascinating uh, throughout the book, and, and again, in the forward, it was mentioned, um, you talk in that definition about equity. Um, you talk about love, power, and equity. Power and justice, yeah. How do love, power, and justice come to play in facilitating organizational change, for example? Um, well, I'm defining facilitation as helping groups move forward together. And uh, this is work I've been doing for 30 years. And what I... Uh, this is my day job is helping such groups in organizations across organizations. And my, my side job is to try to figure out how, how does this work and to write about that. And the, the idea I've gotten to is that if you're going to be successful in facilitation, you can't, you can't start with the idea that you're going to get people to do things. Many people, including many facilitators, including me, uh, a lot of the time, think about our work as getting people to do things. And I think that um, doesn't work, or I can almost never get anybody to do anything. And so the idea or that I've come to is that that's not what, a, that's not what facilitation really involves. What it really involves is removing the obstacles to people uh, doing what they think they need to do, using their energy or their drive. And then the question comes, so what is it, what is it that people are trying to do? Or what, and the simplest way I can say it is that they're trying to contribute and connect equitably. And that when I really think, what does facilitation involve in practice? What what does the facilitator spend all their time working on? It's removing obstacles to contribution, connection, and equity. And then if I go further and I say, well, what's that really all about? What is the underlying human drive? Uh, I, I say contribution, connection, and equity are... Uh, are about the expression of power, love, and justice. And so um, that's, what, that's what I think the essence of, of facilitation is. And what does that mean? Power means um, people, everybody contributing what they can, realizing their ambition, dealing with their agendas, their jobs, what they're trying to get done, pushing for what they... Uh, think makes sense, and we need that. Without that, literally nothing happens in the world. Um, love is the drive to unite, the the bringing together the parts, the 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 managerial and human desire to be part of something, or to recognition that you're part of something bigger, and that you can't get very far ignoring. Uh, your colleagues and your market and the environment. So that's the love part of it. 
And the justice part of it is uh, the fact that pretty well everyone wants to contribute and connect equitably, not necessarily equally, but they want to be treated fairly. And the bottom line of the book is that if you're not paying attention to contribution, connection, and equity, if you're not paying attention to power, love, and justice, you're not, you're not going to um, be able to help people move forward together. Well, there you go. I just summarized it, saved you $11.95. Adam, in the book, you talk about vertical facilitation, horizontal facilitation, transformational facilitation, or transformative facilitation. What, is, what are the differences in those different types of facilitation? Uh, okay, you really want the whole book. Uh, okay, so that, <laughs> no, <laughs> that, uh, that's that, no, but that's what I said. What I said previously is the beginning and the end, and the question you've just asked is the middle. So, what I set out to do was to write a book about uh, to provide a general theory and practice of facilitation. And when I thought about uh, what's the most common kind of facilitation, it's what I call vertical facilitation which just means that it's the kind of facilitation where you say, let's think of the good of the whole. Let's think of the good of the team or the organization or the sector. Let's leave our individual agendas at the door. So it's hierarchical in the sense that the whole always trumps the parts. The whole always dominates the parts and uh, the higher always uh, trumps the lower. So this is uh, very common. It's how I learned facilitation. It's what most facilitation textbooks deal with. It has enormous advantages, coordination, coherence, uh, but it also has downsides, which is rigidity and domination, where people are told, yes, thanks for your contribution, but could you please be more of a team player? So that's what I call vertical facilitation. The second most common kind of facilitation is the opposite where people say, look, we really don't like this rigidity and domination. On the contrary, we want um, to prioritize the perspectives and interests and the free choice of every member of the team. We reject this hierarchy and um, we pay attention to what each uh, participant uh, wants and needs. The upside of that is you get autonomy, free choice, variety, diversity, all that good stuff. The downside of that kind of facilitation is you get, uh, you often get fragmentation and gridlock. So when I realized that these were the two kinds of, uh, the two most common kinds of facilitation, I realized that this is a classic polarity, the way Barry Johnson talks about polarities, like, like inhaling and exhaling. And it's, nobody argues about whether it's better to inhale or exhale. You need to do them both, not at the same time. You need to cycle between them. And the basic idea of the book is that if you want to help people move forward together, you, it's a mistake to choose either the vertical or the horizontal. You have to do them both, not at the same time, but alternately. You have to cycle between a vertical approach and a horizontal approach. And when you're doing that, you're doing what I call transformative facilitation. You're enabling people to move forward together and in doing so to, uh, to transform the situation they're part of. In the book and 
we're not asking for the whole book <laughs> because you do go quite into depth as to how you execute that process. And, and you give some very powerful examples of that. Um, you describe it somewhat like playing chess, both, both rational and intuitive. The rational part, I think all of us can get. What, why is intuition so important here? Well, in the book, when I talk about the vertical and horizontal and different aspects of the work, you end up with 10 moves. There's only 10 things you have to do to facilitate. Um, so it's like a vocabulary with only 10 words or a recipe with 10 ingredients. In that sense, it's not super complicated. 10 is less than 100, less than a million. Um, it's a I think if you understand these 10 things, uh, then you know, if you can do these 10 things, uh, you can facilitate. So that's simple. The reason it's not easy is you don't do them in any predefined or regular order. You, the, the, the part that requires discernment or intuition is how do I know which move I need to make next? It's as if I gave you a recipe. I said, there's 10 ingredients, but I'm not telling you what proportion or what order or how to combine them. And so the art or the intuition or the, the not obvious part is how do I pay attention to what's going on in the group, in myself, in the context, and know that this is the move I need to make next. Now, I'm not saying... In all of this, I'm not, I'm not inventing something. I'm just providing a language for something that I think all good facilitators and all good managers and leaders know, which is that there isn't a recipe, that you're paying attention to what's going on and you're, you're doing what's needed in the moment. I'm just providing a, yeah, a systematic framework. I got a, an email a little while after the book was finished uh, or the book was published from a guy, I don't know, an 85-year-old, uh, leadership and facilitation trainer. He said he liked the book. Lots of stuff in the book was stuff he, he and his colleagues have been doing for decades, but I had provided a framework that show how it all fit, fit together. And I thought, okay, good. That's exactly what I wanted to do. Can you give us an example um, and, and certainly, you know, maintain the confidentiality of the client, but an example of how you have applied this type of facilitation inside an organization? So what the scenario was that you, you encountered going in and what the outcome was? So a few years ago, my colleagues and I did some work for a, uh, a big logistics company, a Fortune 50 company. And uh, the culture of the organization and the, and I guess you could say the imperative of that business uh, was highly vertical in the sense that it's all about how do the pieces fit together into a larger whole. It's all about streamlining the whole. It's all about getting the whole to be coordinated and efficient. Um, and yet uh, their um, senior management knew that uh, in order to be able to adapt to what was changing in the world and also foreshadowing what you 
said in your introduction, in order to adapt to the, the, the imperatives of today's employees, this was before the phrase of the great resignation, but this idea that um, employees aren't content with or aren't going to perform well just being viewed as, in this case, literally, or not literally, but figuratively cogs in a machine, uh, the senior management knew that they also needed a horizontal approach. They needed to hear uh, from people throughout the organization. They especially needed to hear from people on the front line, people in touch with customers, people in touch who, who, whose fingers were on the pulse of what was happening in different parts of the world and in different uh, uh, client groups. And so uh, the process that we facilitated, in other words, organized and ran over several years, uh, injected a heavy dose of horizontality of hearing from lots of different people, including more junior and younger and frontline staff um, and integrating that with the vertical imperatives of the business. And uh, that worked quite well and resulted in uh, important uh, breakthroughs in market positioning and in operations and in new business lines because they had succeeded in getting the best of both worlds, both the coordination and coherence that comes from their super, uh, their already well working uh, verticality and the autonomy and variety that came from, from uh, also employing the horizontality. If we can go back really to one of the, the, the places where I started, which you're also addressing in terms of the great resignation. Um, just last week, recorded a, recorded a podcast with Charlotte Lockhart, who is one of the co-founders and the CEO of the Global Four-Day Week Movement. And um, she and Andrew Barnes first implemented a, a, a hybrid four-day week in their financial services firm in New Zealand. And she said, one of the things that she learned is as leaders, you have to listen to your employees. And so everything you're talking about says to me that this is a way that organizations of any size can engage in meaningful dialogue with their employees to figure it out. Yeah, I, hes I hesitate to say that this is something new, but I think for, for various reasons, including the shakeup of COVID, um, it's become more stark. Um, and fewer and fewer people believe that you can uh, run an organization, really any kind of organization, simply by telling people what to do. Or by by telling them be a team player subordinate your uh, needs and thoughts uh, and and uh, perspectives uh, to to uh, to those of the organization or the team so yes I think I, I think it's uh, it's obvious that uh, <laughs> 
that both are important. You know, in English, the word group is a singular noun, the group um, uh, as a whole, and it's also a plural noun, the members of the group. And so I'm not saying anything very complicated here, but I do think it's important. I once uh, discussed this matter already 10 years ago with a, a group in the Netherlands of, of professional interim managers. This is a, a professional category in, in the Netherlands or in Europe. This is people who come in to lead projects or replace somebody who's on leave or anyhow, they're professional managers. They go from assignment to assignment for a few months or a few years. And when I told them that I thought uh, um, that what was required was to think both of the team as a whole, the group as a whole, and the individual members of the group, they just said this was the most obvious thing in the world. This is 100% of the job of a manager is to think about both. And um, I guess what was obvious to them is now becoming obvious to everybody. But the thing I'm saying, which is maybe not so obvious, is you can't go from one extreme to the other from pure verticality to pure horizontality. That's a way of having everybody do their own thing and go off in different directions uh, and you get fragmentation and gridlock. So the, I wouldn't say the new idea, but the new framing is to say, you need to do both like inhaling and exhaling, uh, not at the same time alternately, but you have to learn to do both. And, and because verticality is the dominant um, mode in most organization, certainly most U.S. companies, uh, that, uh, then the, the stretching is towards horizontality. It's a dance. Yes, it's, it's very much a dance back and forth between these two imperatives. Uh, I, I sailed small boats uh, as a youngster, a laser, um, and if you've ever sailed, you know that you can't, if you're trying to head in the direction the wind's coming from, you can't head straight there. It's impossible to sail directly into the eye of the wind. The, the fun of sailing is tacking back and forth. You go as close as you can, and then you tack, and you tack, and you tack. You move forward by going first one way, then the other way, then the other way, then the other way. And the trick is paying attention uh, in a small boat, to the wind, the waves, where your weight is, um, and being able to, to move when you need to. If you stop paying attention, <laughs> you'll end up in the water. It's not, uh, and uh, <laughs> you'll capsize. So it's the same thing. Uh, transformative facilitation, helping people move forward together, involves tacking back and forth between the vertical and horizontal, and knowing what to do simply by paying attention. The importance of presence. Yes. Yes. Paying attention, not being distracted. The, 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 the enemy here is distraction, thinking of something else or some other time or this reaction you're having to somebody or this worry you have about something that could happen later and paying attention to, being present to, attending to, What's going on right here, right now? What do I need to do next? Teresa Moulton and I, um, she's the editor-in-chief, teach a consulting skills uh, course. And one of the important lessons, and, and it's what I'm hearing from you, is with all of the experience, all the skill, all the training, 
everything that you bring into the, the room, if you will. Uh, you need to be there with a beginner's mind. You can't assume you know what's going to happen or what the next step is. Yes, exactly. Um, for sure. So what I've tried to do in the book is give what I think is a pretty complete map of, of facilitation. Um, 10 moves, 10 outer moves, five inner shifts. Uh, so this, this is an overview of what I'm arguing, everything you need to do as a facilitator. And, and so you have to know all that and practice all of that uh, and then being willing to put it aside. And I would say many of my biggest uh, missteps, of which there have been many, the book is just one long list of missteps, um, but my biggest missteps come when I think I know what's going to be needed uh, because of my prior experience or my assumptions about what's going on in this situation or this group or this organization, and therefore not noticing what's really happening uh, and finding that I do something and it doesn't go at all as I expect. So yes, uh, that phrase, beginner's mind, in the mind of the expert, the choices are are few, uh, but in the mind of the beginner, uh, the choices are many. And to be able to say, okay, I, I mean, I'm prepared, I've rehearsed, I've planned, uh, I've gone over it with my team, that's all necessary, but now we're gonna put this, we're gonna hold this lightly and we're gonna pay attention to what's going on in, in, in the group, in the situation, in ourselves, and we're gonna do what's needed. Adam, any final, we could go on for hours. I know I could, um, but our listeners won't sit for hours. So any final words? Uh, yes. The final thing I want to say is what I'm really, um, one of the things I'm trying to do this book is to provide this general theory and practice of facilitation. But the other thing I'm trying to do is to uh, make a bigger statement of about facilitation, that first of all, it's not a specialist skill. It's a skill that anybody can use and that leaders and managers need to use for more and more of their day, that it's not just about meetings, but it's about everything before, during, and after involved in organizing the group, uh, the, the collaboration. And finally, that, um, as I said at the beginning, the world needs more and better collaboration and therefore more and better facilitation. I think uh, I'm convinced that this is uh, becoming uh, maybe not the, but a critical uh, capacity uh, for dealing with the challenges of our time. Adam Kahane, thank you so much. My pleasure, Brian. We hope you've enjoyed this from the field episode of the Change Management Review Podcast with Brian Gorman, Managing Editor of the Change Management Review, and Adam Kahane. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and like us on LinkedIn.